Bibles, if you would, please, to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 13. Matthew, chapter number 13. As I said uh, a few minutes ago, Brother John and I got to, got to talking about the subject of, of hearing and uh, the difference that we see in this day and age in the way that that people respond, you know, and uh, there's uh, also something to be said, you know, uh, in regards to us Christians and and our lack of response. Uh, and I've said so many times, you'll remember, no doubt, uh, that whenever those that are unsaved, whenever they see us as Christians really serious about our our life and and on our faces before God and praying and confessing or whatever it is, doing business with God, you know, it does something to them also. It puts everything in a different light because, you know, if we don't take it serious, they're going to kind of shrug their shoulders and say, well, I don't guess there's all that much to this Christian stuff, you know. And so it's important that we that we think about our responsibility to hear and uh, I'm going to end up getting away from the message at the end and go all of the way back to the Old Testament and actually uh, just uh, deal with one thing there that speaks about the importance of hearing and, uh, and hopefully tie it all together. But I want to speak to you about the hindrances to hearing. Chapter 13 says... The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside. And great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow, and when he sowed, some uh, seeds uh, fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. And some fell upon stony places uh, where there had uh, not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had uh, no deepness of earth. But And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and uh, because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into the good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. You know, our Lord was a master at, uh, well, at everything, but especially when it comes to using the, the natural and common things in life to teach spiritual truth. I mean, I don't think, you know, anyone that could uh, understand the language in which he spoke, they could understand what he was saying. It was just that clear, and that's why I put so much emphasis on striving, you know, for clarity and keep things simple, uh, because it, it, it ought to be if it's going to get through to us. And so here he's speaking in parables. Now, parables can be something that's a bit confusing to people and uh, in fact if you read on in this chapter you'll see in the very next verse uh, down there in verse 9 or 10 I believe it is 
the, the disciples had a question about it. Uh, they said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? And so, you know, they just, they, they didn't understand exactly why he was using this particular method of teaching, and we're not going to go into all of that, but believe me, it was a, it was a way of communicating, and it, it makes the truth so vivid that whenever you really get a hold of the truth, it's easy for you to remember after that, for one thing. You know, preachers are really troubled by the fact that people are unaffected by preaching, uh, Contrary to what a lot of people think, preachers exhaust themselves, or at least most of them do, exhaust themselves, you know, trying to get folks to respond. And uh, and a lot of times, I've got to tell you, we're mystified why nothing happens. You've heard me say there's a lot of times that Sunday afternoon is the most miserable day of, uh, day of the week for me. Uh, and it's generally true. Sunday afternoon is just terribly difficult. Uh, because you enter into the service with such expectations. you I mean, you, you want to see people saved. You want to see people refreshed and revived and, and so forth. And when it doesn't happen, and a lot of times we blame ourselves for that. And sometimes, by the way, it's our fault. Now, let's not, not you know, try to deny that. We don't do everything exactly right. And we get to thinking, well, you know, maybe I wasn't clear enough. Maybe I wasn't persuasive enough. Maybe I, ought to, maybe I ought to put more emotion into it. Or we get to think, well, maybe I should have used better illustrations. Maybe, maybe I should have told more stories so they could relate to it. And, and, you know, finally you have to come to the conclusion that even Jesus Christ could not convince some people. In fact, the majority, the multitudes refused to follow him. And there's never been anybody that could speak like Jesus, and yet people refuse to respond to what he said. Now, this parable is really important because it, it helps us to understand why the preaching of God's Word doesn't always meet with success. In, in verse number 3 and verse number 9, you'll see clearly that this has to do with the subject of hearing. And that's what he said there in verse 9, Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And so this is the subject. God is interested in getting our attention. Isn't that great? I mean, you know, the Lord could just busy himself without out all of those galaxies and all that's going on up there. And he said, you know, I'm just quite satisfied with things as they are. You know, I'll just leave them to themselves. But God's not that way. God wants our attention because he's concerned about us. But the problem is man is a stubborn creature. Boy, I'm telling you, it, it, it it's... Hard, hard to deal with one another, isn't it? I, you think about this. I was talking to someone this last week, and it's talking about how difficult their job was because they had to deal with people. Well, whenever you're working out in public, you know, whether you're a waitress or wherever you work and you're dealing with people, you're going to have some issues. Well, the fact of the matter is a lot of people are not even responsive to God, and so we can expect that. Now, the seed represents the Word of God, which is very clearly revealed here. We don't have to guess about that. And the soil represents man's heart. Now, if we look at the entire parable, we'll notice that it starts here with the Lord speaking about some of the seed fell by the wayside. That's 
you know, where the ground is, is hard, it's uh, not been cultivated, it's, it's, uh, it's not going to take root, it, it, uh, the birds can come down and, and get it, and they do, and uh, the seed's gone. And that represents a heart, uh, you know, that is, is just uh, uh, beaten down and hard and, and resistant. And then he says some fell on the stony ground. And, and, of course, the stony ground, he says, has a little skiff of soil on it, you know. And so the, the seed falls into that little bit of soil on the stony ground. And uh, all of a sudden it looks like it's going to spring up. But as soon as the sun comes out and the heat starts rising... It just withers away. Now, all of that's interesting, but we're talking tonight about hindrances to hearing. And everything I'm talking about fits under the category of this one section of the parable, and that is the seed that falls among the thorns. And this, this is where it gets down to where, to where we live. The seed that fell among the thorns was choked out. Now, notice he's defined the seed, right? Verse 19 says it's the word of the kingdom. Well, the word of the kingdom is the word of the king. It's the word of God. So we don't guess about that. We know that's what it is. So the problem then is not with the seed. The problem's with the soil. You know, in other words, we can't blame the word of God because because, you know, we don't see it producing like we think that it should. And we don't need a new message. We don't need a better message. I mean, what we have, what God has given us is all that we need, but it only helps people that receive it. You can sit and listen to the Word of God. In fact, you can read your Bible until you can quote every verse in the, in the Bible, but it's not going to do you one bit of good until you receive it. It's not just remembering it, it's receiving it. And we'll get to that at the very end tonight. So we see the seed defined, we see the soil described here, and uh, in, 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 in the area that we're talking about, the soil is contaminated with thorns. Well, that shouldn't surprise us because thorns have been a problem ever since the fall of man and God pronounced a curse upon the earth and all of a sudden the roses had thorns. But now we're talking about the seeds that's planted among the thorns. And uh, naturally the thorns, weeds of any kind, are going to try to soak up all of the moisture and all of the nutrients that it can. And as a result of that, uh, the plant itself, the little seed there, doesn't get the moisture and nutrients that it needs in order to grow. So the thorns choke out the seed. Now, I want you to notice, and we're going to look here in Matthew, and then we're going to look at another part of this same parable over in Luke and also in Mark and there are four things that he tells us about the about the uh, the the thorns and the soil that is infested with the thorns and this is what creates a hindrance to us hearing the word of God notice in verse number 22 he says here that now this we get down here, and he's explaining this to the disciples. 
because they, you know, they said, why are you speaking in parables? So he lays it out and explains it. said, he also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh unfruitful. The first thing that is mentioned is the cares of this world. That word cares means to distract. Actually, it means to draw in different directions. It's, it's, it's kind of like the word worry, you know, and the, when the Bible tells us double-minded man's unstable in all of his ways, it's kind of like a like a mule standing between two haystacks and starves to death because he can't make up his mind which one he wants to eat out of. And uh, a double-minded man's unstable. And whenever, whenever, our, whenever our thoughts are being pulled in this direction and that direction by the cares of this world, uh, all of a sudden it doesn't give room in our heart to receive the Word of God. Look, this is a common condition because a lot of folks are so worried, so frustrated, so anxious that they can't think straight. And uh, they sit and they listen to the Word, but before it produces anything in their heart, all of a sudden, right here in the middle of the service, all of a sudden their attention is diverted to some of the cares of this world. They're worrying about who's going to win the election or they're worried about how they're going to pay their bills. They're going to worry about if, if, if Aunt Lucy survives her operation and 411 different things. And, and we can't concentrate on anything and consequently the Word of God is choked out. We need some lessons on listening because a lot of folks think they're listening and they're not because they don't get the message. They hear the words, but they're not really listening. And one of the reasons that we don't actually get the message of what we hear with our ear, we don't get it because of the cares of this world that choke out the Word of God. Now, again, in verse 22, he mentions another thing. He says, and the deceitfulness of riches. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus said, A rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And we, 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 we know, and it's well documented, how difficult it is to reach, you know, rich people with the gospel. For one thing, you know, they think they've, they've got their act together. They've got everything they need, have, you know, the very best insurance money can buy. They drive a new car, live in a nice home. They, they've got everything. They, they, don't, they don't sense their, their need of God. And consequently, as a result of that, it's extremely hard to get their attention and to cause them to focus on spiritual things. The Bible speaks about that. A rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of God. But let me tell you something. We're talking about the deceitfulness of riches. And don't kid yourself. There's a lot of poor people that have a bigger problem with this than rich people. There's a lot of poor people that want to be rich to the extent that they have a covetous attitude. And generally, we always think about someone who is committing the sin of covetousness as somebody that's, you know, that's already got a truckload of money, you know. And so uh, we accuse them uh, of, of sinning in that way. 
And in reality, it's the poor person that wishes he had what the rich person has. And Paul warns us, and I know you're familiar with this, but I want you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter number 2, because you might be familiar with it, but make no mistake about it, there's a lot of people that fall into this trap. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Now notice verse number 9. It says, But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now, it doesn't say anything about money being the root of all evil. It says the love of money. And it's like I said, there's a lot of poor people that love money just as much as rich people. And while the rich person might have it, the poor person wants it. And uh, it's like I told you before, I once had a young man in my church that was intent on being a millionaire by the time he was 30. And I mean, he just went into that whole hog or nothing and, well, he ended up with nothing when it was all said and done. Uh, so it's, it, it's not, not a matter of us, you know, being content with what we've got, uh, you know, just because we've got a, a little bit of money. You can be rich, you can be poor or whatever, but it's the deceitfulness of riches because, it, it, you know, if you don't have it, you want it, and if you got it, you want more. You, you know, it's it just, if you've got that problem of a covetous spirit, it's something that regardless of how much money, it's still going to be there. And the deceitfulness of riches chokes out the Word of God. And you'd be amazed how many people make crucial decisions based on not what the Word of God says. They make crucial decisions based on how it will profit them monetarily. In other words, where they're going to work, where they're going to live. And I've said this so many times, you're probably getting tired of hearing it. But I still believe every church member, if you know where, where God has placed you, you ought to feel the same way that the pastor does, that you've been called a, a particular church. You ought to make your other decisions concerning where you live and where you work and everything else revolved around where the Lord wants you, what church he wants you in. I mean, if it's that if it's that important, you know, for Brother Preston to be here, you know, it'd be one thing for the church whenever we called him, uh, and and for him to say, well, yeah, I don't mind doing that, but you know, I really, uh, uh, I, I'm, I'm really not going to, uh, I'm not going to move anywhere close to the church, or I'm not going to. You know, I'm not going to be able to be at any of your special events or anything like that. Well, I know we expected him to pack up his family and tell Shelly, come on, you and the kids, and let's pack these boxes, and we're going to move and uh, and make all the other decisions related on that. Well, look, folks, and, and I learned this the hard way years ago, right after I surrendered to preach. And I'm talking about it was within six months or less. And I got the best job offer I'd ever had in my life. A company flew me down to, to Jackson, Mississippi, uh, and uh, a civil engineering firm there. And, man, I, I, I mean, I, I got an offer that was wild. I, 
because I didn't have a college degree like those other guys did. I'd just come up through the ranks the hard way and and uh, had a good reputation for what I did, and they had heard about it, and they called me up and said, you know, we'd like to have you down here. And so I came back, told the pastor, I said, you know, I've got this job offer, and I think I don't know how I can keep from taking it. It is so good. Uh, this story could go on for an hour, because after that, I got another job offer even better, but uh, up in Missouri. And... Uh, he said, I'm going to pray you don't take it. And it, I was insulted. I'm telling you, I was. It irritated me. Why? He said, well, where are you going to go to church? I said, well, I don't know. I said, uh, uh, I said it's bound to be a Baptist church down there somewhere. He said, what if there's not? And I said, well, I could start one, I guess. He said, you really think you're going to go down there and take that job and then end up starting a new church? He said, I'm going to tell you right out, I'm going to be praying that you don't take that job. Well, at that time, I was hoping God wouldn't answer his prayer. But God did, and it didn't take very many days before I realized he was telling the truth. That if I was going to be serious about preaching, I, you know, there's no way that I could take a job like that. And I'm telling you, folks, if we're going to respond to the Word of God, that God's will might be done in our life, we cannot let, we cannot let the love of money, the desire for things, crowd out the Word of God and block what God's trying to do in our life. So we see that in, in these thorns, there's the cares of this world. That's one thorn type. And then he says the deceitfulness of riches. Now, in Luke eight fourteen, you don't need to turn there, but you can if you want to. Uh, he's telling the same parable, and he mentions here the pleasures of life. So you have the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the pleasures of life. Now, that can cover a lot of things there, right? And, and, and you know, God knew exactly what he was doing when he laid all of this out just like he does with anything he does. He, he always knows what he's doing. He always gets it right. Because you look back here and you know you, you think, okay, cares of this world. Well, I'm doing pretty good there because, you know, I can block out all of that. I'm not, I'm not really a worry wart, you know, and so I I'm, I'm made an A on that one. Deceitfulness of riches. Well, I, I'll give myself a B minus maybe on that one, but it's still passing grade. I'm doing all right on that. And we get down here to this, the pleasures of life. Wow. What kind of grade do you make on that? Sometimes, sometimes we think that the greatest enemy of the good is the bad, and it's not. The greatest enemy of that which is good is that which is inferior to what is the best. You see, the devil likes nothing better than keeping you from God's best for your life. And the greatest enemy of what is best is something that is good in and of itself. It's not bad. It's not a sin. But this is where sinless things can become sinful. In that we allow these things to dominate our time, to sap our energy, to just, you know, we, we just get all wrapped up in all of this. There's nothing wrong with these things, by the way. Uh, 
you know, recreation uh, in and of itself can be something that's, uh, it can be a medicine. I'll never forget the, the old preacher Vincent up there in Missouri when we were sitting down. I was preaching a revival meeting for them, and he said, let's go fishing today. So we went down on the James River. There it runs into Table Rock Lake, and we were out there fishing, and he was just talking. And, of course, I, I was preaching one revival meeting after another, and I was pastoring the church and uh, trying to keep up with everything. And 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 he he knew that I I didn't fish, I didn't hunt, I didn't do anything anymore, and he knew that. And he started talking about what Paul said about God has given us freely, uh, richly, all of these things to enjoy. And and it, it really, I, I I thought, you know, you mean I I can actually take time to go fishing once in a while. I wasn't saying that to him, but. Uh, but that's what I was thinking. Look, recreation is a good thing to an extent. But what can be a medicine becomes a poison whenever we allow it to dominate our life and to divert our attention away from spiritual things. It, 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 it can happen. I'm going I'm to tell you guys straight out, I, look, I love to hunt. I, somebody asked me about golf this morning. I, I didn't say it, but I was thinking you can't eat them golf balls, and you, you know. But I, I never was much of a golfer, and I won't tell you why I quit. But uh, it wasn't a pretty sight. But you know, it's really good to be able to do those things and relax and. And just get with, you know, your friends, and that, that that's great. Well, I, I don't know about you, but some of that stuff is pretty addictive to me. Anybody else? <laughs> Sometimes you develop an addiction to it, and you don't even know it. I, I mean, if I was physically able, uh, uh, <laughs> maybe I better think some things through here, you know. It's real easy to get just head over heels out here involved in, in whatever it is. The pleasures of life. Remember when Paul's describing the last days now. He said, you know, in the last days, perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. But notice he said in verse 4 of that chapter, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Isn't that where we're at today as a society? Lovers of pleasure more than Lovers of God, look, I'm glad. I'm glad we won the World Series. I don't mind telling you that. I, uh, I, 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 I that that makes me makes me happy, and uh, uh, really made me happy whenever I saw my granddaughter up there on the stage with all of those people, you know. And I thought, you know, I'm I'm glad she got to do that. That's an experience that she never will forget being a part of that. But let me tell you something, uh, and I'd say this to any of my grandkids or any of my kids, don't you dare ever let any of that stuff so occupy your life that, it, that, that you don't have time for God. Because God is more important than any of that stuff, you see. The, I'm talking about society as a whole. Folks, it, it's mind-boggling. 
On Saturdays, look at the football stadiums across the nation. Sundays, look at the football stadiums across the nation. We are a nation that has gone absolutely mad over sports. And if it's not sports, it's entertainment of some other kind, you know. And uh, it's no wonder that the Word of God gets choked out. Now we're going to go to Mark uh, chapter 4, verse 19. Here, here's another Another thing that he mentions is a part of the thorns, and he says, it's the lust of other things. You know, that just leaves the door of imagination wide open, doesn't it? We've already mentioned the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the pleasures of life. And it's kind of like the Lord is saying, and just in case I miss something, the lust, that is the inordinate desire, the unlawful desire for something. The lust of other things. Boy, that's just about an unending list. When the other things, that's everything else, you see. Well, what was he talking about? He was talking about anything that distracts us from God. Those other things that distract us from God, what do they do? They choke out the Word of God. Now notice the solemn declaration that is made in the light of all of this. This helps us to see how seriousness it is for our hearing to be hindered. Verse 22, notice the word unfruitful. If we're going to see the seriousness of this, we have to realize that the evidence of salvation as taught in this parable is that what? The seed bears fruit. If a person is was talking this morning about, you know, the gift of God is eternal life. Anytime there is life, there will be some vital signs. There will be some evidence of it, right? If there's life, I mean, you go out here and see a body laying in the ditch somewhere and, and it's not breathing and there's no, no pulse and there's no vital signs, you, you can just pretty well bank on it. That guy's dead. There's no vital signs. And, and, and spiritually speaking, if there's life, there are going to be vital signs. As I said this morning, none of us are perfect, that's for sure. But there are going to be some vital signs. There's going to be some evidence. And so the result of this, when you look at the big picture, remember the Lord originally started out speaking to the multitude. These are people that needed the Lord, people that had come down there to the seashore to hear him. He's out. He made a uh, pulpit out of a boat, you know. He's sitting out there in the boat and preaching this parable to them. But now... When he starts talking about the thorns and the stony ground and all of this and explain it, he's talking to the disciples here. You see, we can be just as guilty of crowding out the Word of God as the unsaved people can. And so many times that we're guilty of that, we do not receive it. Because if we do receive it, there's going to be what? Fruit. Fruit is the evidence that, that the seed has been received into the heart. And if there's no fruit, then the seed was not received. Over in the Old Testament, and I said at the beginning, this is where we were going to end up. I want you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter number 6. This was the most important section of Scripture in the Word of God to the Jews. They read it didn't really read it, they 
could quote it because from childhood, every child was taught the, the Shema, which, which we'll get to in just a minute, but is a confession of faith. You can call it a prayer or a confession of faith concerning what they believe. They would quote it day and night for certain. And uh, I'm told by historians that as many as five times a day, it was their regular habit, five times a day, they would quote this. And I'm going to read it to you. Verse 4 is where it starts. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thine heart, with all of thy soul, and with all of thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hands, and uh, they shall be frontlets as before thine eyes, and thou shalt write them uh, upon the post of thy house and on the gate. That section there was the critical part of what they called the Shema. Now, that Hebrew word Shema is the first word in this confession of faith. It's the English word, what was it? Here. That's, that's the Hebrew word, the Shema. It means pay attention, focus upon... But here's the, here's the point. It also means to act. It means to respond to what you're hearing. It implies that we both listen and that we obey. In Exodus chapter number 19 and verse number 5, the singular form of this word is used there. And here's the way it's translated into the English. This is the singular form of the same word, and it's translated into English like this. Now, therefore, if ye will obey. There you have it. I mean, it's absolutely undeniable. That word here, there, indicates that we are not only to be able to recognize what is said or be able to remember what is said, but it means that we receive it and then we respond to it. We hear it and we do it. And let me tell you, if you're not responding to it, you're not really receiving it. So is there a problem or not? There are people that, and, and I realize people deal with, with their, you know, with their issues in different ways. I understand that. And when I first got saved, I, I mean, it was every Sunday I could find something I needed to confess, and I wasn't putting on a show for anybody. I thought this is the way you, that you do it. I, you know, that if, if something's wrong in your life, and you know that you, you need to confess it. I mean, that's what preacher get up there and preach we confess our sins you know so here i'd come and 
I mean, just every week, I, I'm sure some of those people thought this guy's either crazy or he's just wanting attention or something. And I wasn't. I was dead serious because it, it was just constantly God dealing with me about issues in my life. And I got to tell you, folks, I, for the life of me, I can't understand why some people can go for years and years and years and you never see any kind of response about anything. Surely you got ticked off at your wife and said something you shouldn't have said or done something wrong. Maybe you got it right at home. I hope you did. That's a that's the best place, you know, to get it right. But I don't. I'm going to be honest. There have been a few times in these fifty plus years that uh, that I've kind of got it wrong on the way to church. And I had to get some things right before we got into the service. The whole point is, if we are receiving it, then we're going to respond to it. James said, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. And then he adds this, deceiving your own selves. You see, it's really easy for us to deceive ourselves and make and convince ourselves that everything's right between us and God. It's good. Everything's right. Boy, we, I mean, we don't have a thing in the world to worry about. And you know what? We just exactly, we become just like those people in the church of the Laodiceans there mentioned uh, over in the book of Revelation, right? That they said, we're rich and increased in goods and in need of nothing. Wow, what a... What a scary position to be in. Rich and Christian goods, we don't need anything. Now I'm turning over there because I want you to hear what God said to those people. And it ought to get our attention. Verse 15 of chapter 3 of Revelation. I know thy works. Thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou were cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. You know, that is a, that is a very mannerly way of saying that you make me sick and, and, I'm, and, and make me vomit. That's what the Lord is saying. And, and to think about a church ever, ever getting in that kind of condition... And how did it happen? Verse 17, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Folks, we're talking about a church. He didn't, he didn't denounce them in the sense that they had uh, totally departed from the faith and done some awful things. It, it was... With them, the problem was they were lukewarm. A lot of people are troubled by the fact that he said, I'd rather you be cold than lukewarm. You know, hot would be ideal, but but uh, why, would he, why would he rather they be cold than lukewarm? Isn't, isn't lukewarm better than cold? No, it's not. Because you'll never get where you need to be if you've got that lukewarm attitude, well, I know, I'm, I know I'm not perfect. I know I'm not everything that it could be, but I'm not so bad. Now you're stuck right there as long as that's your feeling. But it's when you're cold. 
That's why it's easier to reach some guy down here, some drunk in a bar somewhere. You don't have to convince him that he needs something. He already knows that. He just, he just doesn't know where to go for help. You can get through to him a whole lot easier than you come, can some self-righteous religious person. You know, the, the Jews that the Lord was dealing with, that was their problem. They didn't, the Lord, you know, talked about the fact that he'd come to set them free. And they said, what? We've never been in bondage to any man. We don't need you. They didn't realize what an awful spiritual condition they were in. Uh, I don't know about you, but whenever it comes to this matter of really being attuned to the Word of God, it's something I can't do alone. I, I need God's help to, to really get the, the message. And I think a lot of times we just assume that if we'll sit there and listen to the sermon that we'll get it, and we don't. Because here, here we, we see that that the seed falls among all of these thorns and the thorns are trying to choke out the good seed of God's Word in our life so that we do not get the message and produce the fruit. And, uh, and until we realize that, that this is a problem we can't overcome ourselves, it never changes. You know, you can read the Bible and sometimes we think about, and a lot of times we've talked about what's most important, reading the Bible or prayer. Well, you know, we say, well, it's more important, and I've said this, more important that, that God speak to you than you speak to God. But, you know, the fact of the matter is, whenever you're reading the Bible, that's God speaking to you. But you, I'm telling you right now, you can't really understand the Bible as you ought to without God's help. So you need to pray. You need to depend upon the Holy Spirit. He's the one that opens this up to you. And so whether it's sitting in Sunday school or in the worship service or you're just in the you're just sitting back in your recliner at home and you've got your Bible open and you're reading here. Here. Receive it and respond to it. And there'll be sometimes you're sitting there reading the Bible and all of a sudden there's some verse that'll just whoa really hit you, that's the time to just close your Bible and bow your head and say, Lord, I need, to, I need to settle some issue in my life and get it right with God. Because, folks, look, we'll never grow spiritually without responding to God's Word. You can memorize it. That's well and good, but that's not enough. It's when we respond to it. It's in the doing of the Word that all of a sudden our life is changed. And we begin to grow spiritually. I hope tonight something's been said that'll, that'll help not just you, but me and all of us to realize the seriousness of responding to God's Word. And don't worry about what anybody else thinks. There might be a, just a, you haven't done anything wrong. You just got a heavy burden on your heart. Now, I guarantee you there are a lot of times, no doubt in the church service, somebody will be sitting there with a, heavy burden on their heart, a need in their life, and uh, they feel an urging to, to just go forward and pray about it. And 
I don't know whether they worry about what people's going to think or what, but for some reason you just let the devil get the victory. You just do what God wants you to do, and believe me, it'll all turn out better in the end. i got to stop. Okay, let's stand. Brother Nolan, if you'll come. I tried to share what's on my heart, and I, I, I just pray tonight that whatever it is God would have you to do, that you'll do it. It might be somebody, uh, somebody needs to trust Christ as their Savior. It might be somebody else you need to follow the Lord in baptism. Or it might be that uh, this is the church God's directing you to. I don't know. But I know you'll be better off if you let God have His way while we sing.